Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to another episode of Corner Kick or Quarantine Kick. Pick the title of your choice in that regard. But since we re- recorded our episode last week, which involved the uh, the Premier League draft on draft week, uh, a plethora of big news stories have come out regarding each major European league's decision on how they're going to continue the season uh, following the coronavirus pandemic. So shall we start in France with Ligue 1, who have come to a, I think, a surprising decision uh, considering the scale of the players and the popularity of that league. So Nathan, do you want to take us away in that? France decided to cancel the remainder of Ligue 1 and award PSG the championship and then give out potential European spots based on uh, their league table. It's a pretty surprising move just because France is the first league of the big five to you know, take any measures this drastic. And it, especially as other leagues like Serie A and the Premier League are beginning to finalize their plans moving forward, it seems like this is the di- a different direction, a significant different direction. Yeah, and I think it's interesting uh, that they decided to make PSG champions when they weren't mathematically winners yet. I mean, like, PSG were going to win. I mean, they pretty much always win, except when Monaco won a few years ago. But it's an interesting choice that with 11 games left and PSG only had a 12-point lead over Marseille, um, that they gave them the championship title. Yeah, right. And I think as far as like our discussion on this podcast about Liverpool, who are 25 points clear uh, in the Premier League, we're about to discuss their attempts at Project, or what they're going to be calling Project Restart, and attempting to revive the league come June 13th, that that league isn't looking to a similar option to League uh, and just canceling the season outright and awarding European places, which is obviously a bit more difficult in the Premier League when there's so much more competitivity for those spots. And obviously the whole Manchester City uh, European ban situation that was set to unravel in the offseason but uh, shall we go make our way to the Bundesliga, who were set to resume uh, training with an eye of restarting the league at the end of May. However, those plans seem to have been put on hold or at least temporarily delayed because of a situation in Cologne, Caleb. Yeah, so the latest report from just yesterday is that um, at least three players or members of the Cologne club have tested positive for coronavirus. And I think that has been kind of a reality check for the Bundesliga, um, which was sort of the most bullish about their ability to get the league restarted. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because apparently the club is treating the staff members slash, we're, we're not really sure who exactly it was for obvious reasons, but they're treating it as if it were an injury. And saying, you're out for two weeks, you're not going to training, and everything like that. Which, again, is a surprisingly blasé approach, but there's something very logical and German about that to me. um, Where, like, they're just treating it as if it were, like, any other injury. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bundesliga um, plans to resume their season going forward. Because it does seem to be, like, the prevailing fear that all it takes is one player to get sick before you have you know, another outbreak within 
the league's players. Right. And it was also only like one outbreak or one player that led to a lot of these leagues getting shut down, right? Like the Premier League way back when was all ready to keep playing until Callum Hudson-Odoi got coronavirus and then Mikel Arteta. And I guess, you know, in the months that have happened since, we've learned a lot more about the disease and we've had a better public health response, but we really don't, we still don't have a way to stop it. And so I'm not sure why the leagues can continue now when they couldn't um, two months ago. Right. And I think you mentioned earlier, Caleb, that the Bundesliga suffered a reality check in the form of those Cologne, uh, the, the personnel at Cologne testing positive. And I think we're starting to see these big, powerful leagues with all the money in the world to throw around, especially the Premier League and Liga that potentially is one of the richest clubs in, in the world. Um, we're starting to see that they even with all of their resources and power and and stake behind finishing the season, they're coming to the alarming realization that that just might not be possible and they have to uh, make the most drastic of measures and just cancel the seasons outright and potentially lose a lot of money in financial windfall from the cancellation of these seasons. And uh, the more this presses on and the more we go without a resolution to the coronavirus. And obviously we're starting to hear now that this might become a seasonally, a yearly occurrence, and potentially there might be a second wave of this coronavirus that starting the season or restarting the season at a later date, later this summer, might not even be on the cards in about three weeks. Right. And I think we just have to consider, so obviously all of the leagues in an ideal world want to continue for obvious reasons. But the reason that leagues like the French League had to be canceled is because the government mandated that sports couldn't resume at least until September. Um, and so I think even as leagues like Serie A, all the clubs voted to unanimously to finish the season, even in the Bundesliga, where there's a sincere desire to continue, it's very easy for the government just to mandate that sports can't resume until September, in which case they'll have to abandon the season. And so I think it's sort of, it's not so much the leagues as it is the governments that have the ultimate say over whether sport can continue. And I think this whole situation changes if and when a vaccine gets developed, because obviously I believe there was a quote from someone in the English uh, FA hierarchy this week that 95% of clubs will go bankrupt if soccer isn't played in the upcoming season. So I think it's a necessity financially for some form of soccer to be played, if only so that the league structure remains like remotely solvent. Right. And that brings us to Project Restart in the Premier League, which uh, they have come out this week and said that they were aiming for a June 13th uh, restart in neutral 10 neutral venues uh, to which to finish out the Premier League behind closed doors without any fans and relocating a lot of teams to these neutral sites. And uh, we've seen some acceptance within the Premier League community, but also some backlash from potential clubs. Nathan, do you want to get us this bit of news regarding Brighton? Yeah, so Brighton are adamantly against the idea of playing games at a neutral site. And of course, playing games at a neutral site is a pretty big part of this plan going forward uh, in order to reduce the travel for teams and whatnot. 
but Brighton being strongly in a relegation battle and also being one of the teams that's furthest positioned from the geographic center of uh, where teams generally come from, they feel like they're being hard done by by having to play games in a potential neutral site in that they're looking for every advantage possible. But at the same time, because all these games are going to be played behind closed doors with no fans, it seems to me to be a weird hill to die on. And of course, this process is going to be unfair to someone. There's no perfect solution. Otherwise, we would have already had it. But for Brighton to be raising a big stink like this doesn't necessarily reflect very well on them when it comes to understanding the reality of the situation. Yeah, and I don't understand how a neutral venue hurts them more than it hurts any other team. So it it just seems like, it, as you said, it's a strange hill to die on, especially when they should just want soccer to be able to resume by any means necessary. Like, surely they're worse off if no soccer is played than if they are. And I get that they're, what, two points above the relegation zone? Um, And so maybe their thinking is that they might slip down. But that's true of all the teams around them as well. I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't make that much sense to me. Well, uh, I think we're starting I think this we can be starting to see this from a lot of clubs who are potentially in the relegation fight about the fact that they would just want the season to end um so that they don't get relegated potentially and lose even more money uh than they're already set to lose from not being able to play in front of a packed stadium. So I think Brighton they aren't exactly in the relegation zone, but they're certainly in the conversation in the relegation fight down there at the bottom of the table. So this could be them as a club looking out for their potential place in the Premier League next season, if there is a next season starting on time. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, Brighton makes sense as the team that would be complaining because they're like, they're five points off of 14th place, but they're only two points off the relegation zone. So they're like the team that's right on the balance between safety um, and falling down. So in that sense, it makes the most sense that Brighton of any team would be upset by the season continuing. Right. I think it just depends on which clubs in the Premier League are going to want, are in a place to want to continue the season, like the Liverpools of the world, like the Chelsea's of the world, who want to secure European position and a place in the Champions League, potentially. And there are also clubs like Brighton, uh, like Bournemouth, potentially, who don't want the season to end so they can maintain their position in the Premier League. It's not Bournemouth, is it? Bournemouth are in the relegation zone. Yeah. Shit. What team is like in 17th? Like, yeah, 17th, 16th. Uh, West Ham are in 16th. Watford are in 17th. West Ham, perfect. So yeah, we could be seeing clubs like a Brighton, clubs like a West Ham even, who are in 16th place. They're a massive club in London who were set to be potentially relegated come the end of the season. Their form certainly hasn't been great under returning manager David Moyes. So I think we could, it really just depends on, uh, we could be seeing more of these statements just depending on what position certain clubs in are in uh, before project restart really hits think, the ground running. Yeah, and I think a lot of focus um, is on, you know, what clubs will get the European places. And, you know, I think that, that there very well might not be a complete European season next year at all. Obviously, I think UEFA really would love to have 
a Europa League and a Champions League, but think about how extensive the qualifying processes are for these uh, competitions. Even if, you know, they arbitrarily assign, you know, coefficients or some form of value to clubs so that they can shorten that a little bit, it's still normally like a three and a half month process before group stage play starts. Because they obviously allot more spots to teams um, than can qualify directly to the group stage. So it's entirely possible that, you know, there might not actually be European spots to fight over at this time next year. Yeah, but I think I think UEFA can probably just say, like, sorry. <laughs> and all of the teams from lesser leagues that start in, like, whatever the first qualifying round they'll just skip to the fourth qualifying round and just go by league coefficient um but but back to the issue of the premier league it fundamentally just seems like disingenuous to me that brighton should be complaining about a restart on sporting grounds um like i think the only grounds to be against project restart is if a club really thinks that it can't protect the health of the players but i think barring that every team that is in the premier league has agreed to participate in the Premier League, which is a 38-game season. And if the league, which I'm not sure they can, but if they can organize a safe way to host the rest of the games, then the teams have a duty to play them. And I think that's kind of where the buck stops in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree with that. And the sooner the sooner games can be played, the sooner TV revenue can start going back to clubs as well. Nice. And on that note... Let us go from a league that is potentially restarting to a league that we all know is up and running. In a week in which the U.S. president has said that we should inject ourselves with cleaning solution and disinfectants, in a week in which the government has declassified potentially UFO footage, aliens potentially lurking in our skies, I think the most absurd thing, Caleb Rhodes, is that somehow, some way, the Belarusian Premier League is still up and running. And a big win today for your uh, FC Torpedo. Yes, I have been waiting for FC Torpedo to finally show the offensive prowess that they've always shown beneath the surface. And this week, they had a dominant 5-2 win, um, which means that they've now scored nine goals in seven games while still having a one of the, or the second best defense in the league. They're up in second place while slots continue to lead the way with 16 points. We're finally, after six or seven game weeks, seeing some separation. And there are some clear leaders at the top. Slutsk, Torpedo, Islok, Minsk, Energetic, and Bate are finally sort of pushing towards the top with a game in hand. Um, the league, as we've said, continues despite all conventional wisdom saying it shouldn't. Um, and yet I am still thankful to have something to watch or at least follow. Imagine being a, a, a Rook Breast supporter. You mentioned that they have Torpedo has the, the second best defensive record in the league. There have only been six goals scored by either team in Breast's entire season. That's three goals for and three goals against. You know, the Belarusian League might not be the most entertaining league to begin with, but when you're averaging less than a goal per game between two teams, that's uh that's something right there. I don't know. The Belarusian League, to me, it's it's like the general hospital of soccer leagues at the moment. Is it the greatest quality product? No. Does it have the best characters and the best narratives? 
Probably not, but are we glad to have it in our lives? Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to uh, Bate Borisov's home stand tomorrow in which they need to uh, produce a result, as Caleb said, as they're finally gaining some momentum to uh, win the first Belarusian trophy of the decade. Yeah, I mean, one thing about the Belarusian League that is really endearing is normally in leagues, you know, the best teams tend to have the best offenses and the best defenses. But this is just untrue of the Belarusian League. For instance, Minsk, who are down in 10th, have the second best offense in the league, but also the worst defense. Meanwhile, as I said, Torpedo have a very middling offense, but one of the better defenses. And then a team like Brest has both the worst offense and the best defense. And so I think what this league really offers is something for everybody. People that love defensive connoisseurs, uh, people that love epic attacking play, and that's kind of independent of the league position. And it really means that you can get whatever you want from this league. Okay. So as you know, our last episode, we devoted to doing a draft of Premier League players with a few rules. And in the week between this episode and the last one, we have put those teams into Football Manager and we are set to reveal the results of a eight-game fixture uh, simulated season to see which one of our drafted teams comes out on top. Before we go through the results, though, we figured we would read out uh, our teams to refresh your mind. So, Caleb, do you want to go first with your 18? Yes. So I set up my team in a 4-3-3 with David De Gea in goal. Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back, Toby Alderweireld and Fernandinho at center back, Ben Chilwell left back. I have a midfield three of Fabinho, De Bruyne, and Pogba, and then a front three um, of Salah, uh, Abameyang, and Sané. And then on my bench, I have Yuris, uh, John Stones, Joe Gomez, Rodri, James Madison, Riyad Mahrez, and Marcus Rashford. Nick, what about yours? So my starting 11 is a 4-4-2 diamond with Allison Becker in goal, uh, Andrew Robertson at left back, Cesar Azpilicueta at right back, Harry Maguire and Imeric Laporte, uh, the Manchester pair at center back, uh, Jorginho, uh, Jeannie Vinaldum and Bruno Fernandes making up my midfield three with Roberto Firmino, Hunmin Son, and Sergio Aguero uh, spearheading the attack. My bench is Kepa Aritza Balaga. Uh, as my backup keeper, Antonio Rudiger and Ricardo Pereira as my defenders, Wilfred and Didi as uh, my kind of defending midfielder, Mezidotzil, uh Gabriel Jesus, and Harry Kane as my attacking players coming off the bench. My team is set up in a 4-3-3 as well with Ederson in goal, Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Lucas Digne as the wingbacks. Andreas Christensen and Virgil van Dijk are the center back pair. The midfield three of Bernardo Silva, N'Golo Conte, and Ruben Neves. And then the front three of Raheem Sterling, Sadio Mane, and Alexander Lacazette. With a bench of Jamie Vardy, Jack Grealish, James Milner, Anthony Martial, uh, Victor Lindelof, and Adama Traore with Bern Leno as the backup keeper. So I'm just going to give my prediction. I think my team got like steamrolled in this. Just looking back at the formation that I picked and some of the 
the players that I I, I don't know why I was doing picking <laughs> picking. Any, any any prediction on top goal scorer? Um. So my sneaky, I think it's Aguero, uh. But I also think Harry Kane coming off my bench probably accumulated a few fair number of goals as well. So I'll give you a hint right now, and I'll say that there was a five way tie for leading goal scorer Christ. Uh, in the competition. With what, but four anyways, goals or something? Yeah, at four goals. Uh-huh. Uh, but let's get down to business and walk us through match week by match week. So there are 12 match weeks all in all so that all teams could get in their eight fixtures. Match week one saw Strauss FC taking on Rhodes FC <laughs> in the uh, very creatively named Newton Derby with... <laughs> Raheem Sterling scoring within 15 minutes off of a beautiful assist from Ederson, while Leroy Sané scored in the 81st minute to tie things up, finishing in a 1-1 draw. The man of the match was Raheem Sterling with 8.7, but Caleb Rhodes' team had almost all of their players above a 7 in rating. Next saw Nick a.k.a. Govindan FC, take on Rhodes FC in what was the Bruno Fernandez show as Fernandez scored yep. Fernandez scored two free kicks in the first 30 minutes to lead <laughs> Govindan FC to a 2-1 victory wow. with Mo Salah providing the consolation. Listen, I knew when I picked Bruno Fernandez early that uh, I was going to be in for a few performances like this because the man on Football Manager and in real life in the Premier League has uh, kind of been tearing it up recently. So I was very happy with getting him early. Off Dude, the board. I'm a little shocked by how poorly my team has come out of the gate. I don't know. I, I thought that I matched up very well against both sides. Um, and I'm a little disappointed to be left with a draw and a loss in the opening fixtures. To, to put into perspective how impressive Bruno Fernandez was in this game for Nick... He not only had two goals, he also had five key passes, which is more than Caleb's entire starting 11. (laughs) However, Rashford did have two key passes coming off the bench, um, and he had the assist. Then, Gavinden FC took on Strauss FC in a home match for Nick Gavinden. Alexander Lacazette scored in the ninth minute before Hunman Son equalized in the 51st for Nick Gavinden. However, after a series of bookings for Strauss FC, Raheem Sterling scored in the 81st minute to give Nathan, to give me, the 2-1 win. The hell, man. And in the most boring game of all. Wait, wait, wait. A- first, first, so where does that leave uh, the standings after the first round of fixtures? So after the first round of fixtures, it's tough because it's never going to be even out, evened out until the... Uh, until the very last match day. But after three game weeks, I was on four, Nick was on three, and you were on one. Damn. Listen, I just want to say props to Hunmin San for uh, flying back from South Korea and his military duties to compete in uh, this pivotal series of matches. <laughs> yeah, where do his loyalties lie? It's a little confusing. Exactly. Uh... <laughs> Next up uh, was a home match for Caleb that finished in a nil-nil draw with Strauss FC in an incredibly dull affair, only 11 total shots, only two players on each side rated higher than a 6.9. It's reminiscent so, of a, a Belarusian Premier League game that 
Indeed. Dude, how is my team not creating chances? <laughs> it gets worse for Rhodes FC. <laughs> as in their next match, they get dogged by the fullbacks of Govindan FC with Andy Robertson and Ricardo Pereira scoring in the second half after Kevin De Bruyne scored a laser of a goal to give Govindan FC its second win in three matches. So very it doesn't make sense. No, it makes perfect sense. (laughs) Oh, and important news, Rhodes FC's entire back line picked up yellow cards, Mm. uh, meaning that Joe Gomez, or pardon me, uh, they actually, going into this game, uh, the right back for Rhodes FC, uh, who was your right back? Trent. Trent Alexander-Arnold had picked up a yellow card suspension. So Joe Gomez filled in uh, with a 6.2 rating. Just out of out of curiosity, is Caleb's team like efficient at passing at all, or do they just get overwhelmed when they? No, play? Caleb dominates the shots and possession department. Like uh... Caleb outshot uh, Rhodes FC outshot Gavinan FC twenty to twelve. Um... <laughs> Who's your striker, Caleb? Aubameyang. Oh, see, that makes a little bit more sense. Little maybe and again, a little bit more efficient than putting away the chances. The midfield of Rhodes FC puts in absolute work. De Bruyne, Pogba, Salah, and Sané combined for 13 key passes and two chances for Salah, but he just couldn't finish. Okay, so my team is like actually working other than the scoring department. Yeah, I think my team is obviously a counter, is becoming a, a dependent on counterattack play. Yeah, or, or two free kicks. Right. All you need is the moments of brilliance. Yeah. Uh, in a surprise result, Strauss FC was then taking on Gvinden FC, in which the only goal of the game was scored by Sadio Mane. Son of a bitch. Who was then promptly injured and then subbed off, uh, literally in the same minute as he scored the goal. The man of the match was Aaron Juan Bissaka. And this is a game which Gvinden FC really struggled to create anything. Gavinan FC was outshot 12 to 5 despite outpossessing. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, 57 to 43%. So I'm learning something about my team, and it's that we have very few opportunities in the game. And if we don't take those opportunities, then we're going to really struggle. Speaking of taking few opportunities, Rhodes FC finally enters the win column. Oh, yes. With a 1 0 victory against Strauss FC, in which. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka gets injured, and because Strauss FC doesn't have a backup right back, that meant James Milner was playing right back. Oh, wow. Uh, you really you really called that. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Whoa, what I a, know. What a draft. I know. But Fabinho scores, on, uh, scores from the penalty spot to give Rhodes FC a clutch victory. Uh, see, Fabinho a penalty taker? Yes, Fabinho's never missed a penalty in his career. I see. Okay. Yep. Which is crazy. Uh, And then the next matchup pitted Rhodes FC against Govindan FC. Please. Rhodes FC trying to stay hot. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored with his only chance of the day in the 45th minute plus three. So deep into added time in the first half. However, Huenmin San pulled one back for Govindan FC. Then, late on, a very heavily depleted Rhodes FC due to yellow card suspensions 
missing both of their normal starting center backs. Oh God! Managed to get the winner through Mohamed Salah. Oh my God! Wait, so who was playing? Did they put Rodri at center back? What happened? It was Joe Gomez and Stones. Oh, oh, I see, I see. Yeah, with uh, Fernandinho. Because Trent came back. Trent came back. Yeah, and Fernandinho was suspended. I see. So Rhodes FC had then won two games in a row. Then it was Govindan FC's time to shine. Oh, nice. As, as Sergio Aguero scored a brace after the 80th minute to send Strauss FC to its second consecutive defeat. Listen, it's about time that Aguero started firing. He's been kind of, uh, I've been shockingly, uh, shockingly quiet up until now. However, man of the match was Bruno Fernandez who had two chances of his own, four key passes, and two assists. Which is nuts. And then, maybe the weirdest stat of the entire tournament, Aaron Juan Bissaka, with six key passes, while the rest of my team had one. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Adama Traore came off the bench and had a 5.9 rating, which is the worst of all players. What it was uh, supposedly a really sneaky good pick has maybe turned into a disaster for Strauss while uh, Aaron Juan Bissaka is slowly becoming the MVP of your squad. Rhodes FC would then take on Strauss FC in uh, the third to last game week with Aubameyang scoring in the third minute nice. to give Rhodes FC the lead. However, Sadio Mane and Alexander Lacazette would score within six minutes of each other to give Strauss FC the 2-1 lead until Mohamed Salah scores in the 93rd minute Damn. to bring Rhodes' team uh, the much-needed draw. Maybe the most even game of all. Ten shots per side, five shots on target each, nine fouls to eight fouls, and 51% to 49% possession. Interesting. So wait, does that give me two draws and a loss? Oh, no. Does that give me a win draw and a loss against you? Yes. I see. Yes. Then, match day 11, in an incredible, ridiculously entertaining game, it was Govindan FC against Rhodes FC. Mo Salah gave Rhodes FC the lead uh, in the 48th minute. Then, Quenmin Son and Sergio Aguero scored in the 75th and 76th minutes before Jorginho got booked and then sent off in a five-minute span for Govindan FC. Clinging to a 2-1 lead, Ricardo Pereira gave away a penalty. Oh, no. Substitute Marcus Rashford buried to make it a tie game. See, listen, this is where I maybe got a little bit too cheeky with the Jorginho pick uh, and not picking him over uh, certain other players that were left on the board. Uh, I would have to revisit the draft episode to see where I went wrong. In, uh, but that was certainly a, a little bit of a niche metronomic pick that might not have gone my way there. However, this meant that going into the last game of the season, Rhodes FC and Govindan FC were tied on 10 points with Rhodes FC ahead on goal difference. Which was what? Two. Your goal difference was zero. Govindan FC's was minus two. Ah, but Strauss was in the lead. But Strauss was behind. Strauss was on nine points. Oh my God, really? Wow. This meant that a draw would mean that Rhodes FC wins the league. 
a win for Govindan FC would mean that Govindan FC wins the league. Oh, wow. And a win for Strauss FC would mean that Strauss FC wins the league. <laughs> Going into the final match day of the season, everything was on the line. But it was <laughs> some bad news coming Strauss FC's way <laughs> as Aaron Juan Basaka <laughs> was suspended for the game. Remember, oh. I had no... <laughs> Strauss FC famously had no right backs. <laughs> so did James Milner fill in? No, it's this whole thing where like he, he picked he didn't pick enough defenders in the first round. And it's Strauss back. FC went with a very controversial five two three <laughs> with Lindelof, Christensen, and Virgil Van Dyke as the three at the back. Adama Traore and Luca Digne as the wing backs. Good lord. Meanwhile, Gavindan did you do this or did the game do this? The game did this. Oh wow. <laughs> Meanwhile, presumably because they didn't want to try and put like Milner as a right back yeah. against uh, Aguero and Son. I can't believe your defensive deficiency is actually like relevant. Relevant. <laughs> <laughs> the game started off pretty much exactly as you would expect as Son Hun Min gave Gavindan FC a early lead. However, oh no, Raheem Sterling scored for Strauss FC off of a giveaway from Harry Maguire <laughs> to, make, to tie the game, meaning that after 65 minutes, Rhodes FC were in position to win the league. However, in the 66th minute, Sergio Aguero scored off of kickoff, meaning that Gavinan FC had a 2-1 lead. Wait, what do you, like, literally off of kickoff? Literally off of kickoff, like, from the kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he just shot it? <laughs> However, this is when things went from bad to worse for Strauss FC as they were forced to go to a... I kid you not, a 3-3-4. Taking off Priore and Digne and bringing on Ruben Neves and Jamie Vardy. It paid dividends as Raheem Sterling scored the equalizer in the 71st minute, sending Rhodes FC back to the top of the table. A yellow card to Roberto Firmino meant that he was replaced by Harry Kane and Mesut Ozil also came on for Harry Maguire as Gavinian FC went to three at the back, knowing that they needed a goal to win the league. However, the 87th minute comes around and a shocking turn of events. Alexander Lacazette no. scores, follows by N'Golo Conte scoring in the 88th minute, followed by Alexander Lacazette scoring in the 90th minute to give Strauss FC a 5-2 victory and the league title. Wait, was uh, that the last game of the season? In the last game of the season. Because <laughs> I had already played all my games. Yeah, because you played all your games. Um, well, that's astonishing. I honestly, I'm a little speechless. I'm honestly, I'm a little disappointed. And by a little, I mean a lot. And by a lot, I mean I'm devastated. Um, so wait, the final table was Strauss 12, me 10, and Nick 10? Yes. Really, just I think it, it all came down to that uh, calamitous Mezidotzil and Harry Maguire uh, substitution at the end there. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. Just stunning, stunning turn of events. I can't believe that my team collapsed in the way that it did. Um, big MVPs for my squad, I suppose, were uh, Bruno Fernandez, Hunman San, and, and Aguero towards the end of the campaign. But I guess we didn't have enough quality uh, elsewhere in the midfield. Bargain, somewhat. So I don't know. Disappointing on my ends. Yeah. I obviously wanted to uh, to prove that I was the best GM in this class, but I don't think I can say I did that this time around. Bruno Fernandez ended up having the highest average rating in the league. Oh, yeah. So give, give it. Give us some of the key stats, like score leaders, assist leaders, and like match rating. Yeah, so four, five players ended up tied with four goals apiece. Lacazette, Raheem Sterling, Juan San, Sergio Aguero, and Mo Salah. For assists, Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandez were tied in first. Meanwhile, Antonio Rudiger was the second place assister, which is pretty interesting, while Mo Salah uh, was tied with him. Uh, in terms of player of the match awards... Raheem Sterling had three, Bruno Fernandes had two, Aaron Wan-Bissaka had one, as did uh, Fabinho. So interesting to note that Caleb's team actually performed the worst, um, but ended up coming away with a second-placed finish, whereas Nick's team had a number of performers, like five of the ten top players in terms of average rating were players from Nick's team. Uh, Were any from my team? Sala? Uh, De Bruyne and Salah. Interesting. I think I I was really looking forward to the strength of my midfield. Um, and besides De Bruyne, or actually, I, I think De Bruyne and Fabinho seem to have been good. But Pogba has been a real letdown, I think, throughout this entire league season. Um, and perhaps I needed a better striker than Abemayang. Um yeah, Aubameyang finished second to last of all the strikers in terms of shots on target. Yeah, so Aubameyang was a bad pick. Um, However, um, Fabinho led the league in pass completion with a 94% passing accuracy, hmm. which is pretty... Did impressive. Pogba have either a goal or an assist? Let's see. Uh, Pogba did not have a goal... Uh, nor did he have an assist. Yeah, so Pogba, big letdown. Big, big letdown. Uh, Lacazette and Sterling were very impressive, a very impressive tandem. Meanwhile, Virgil van Dijk won 28 more headers than anyone else in the league. Um, the, the second place being Imeric Laporte and third being Aubameyang. All in all, it was just a crazy close league though like the final table was uh you know strauss fc won with three wins three draws and two losses whereas gavindan fc had three wins one draw and four losses and Rhodes fc had two wins four draws and two losses with a goal difference of zero for caleb and goal differences of two and negative two for nick so i guess a very very close league yeah i guess just kind of close all of this off caleb nathan what are your guys impressions on this experiment uh the way things went down and anything that you guys would do differently throughout the draft process i mean i would draft a right back ideally um 
But by and large, I, honestly, I still cannot believe that like that came into play on the final day of the season. Well, it came into play earlier on this earlier in the season as well, and in one of the games that I lost when uh when I also was was down a right back. So definitely shows the importance of having a balanced squad and how sometimes you might think that you'd be able to get away with something when really you can't. Yeah, I think my my biggest change is I very specifically overlooked Harry Kane when I picked my striker and went for Bemiang instead. And I think I would probably uh, pick Harry Kane if I had a second chance. Nick, how about you? Um, like I said already, I think I really regret the lack of quality in the defensive midfield positions that I had. Um, we heard nothing about Jorginho and Jeannie Wijnaldum other than that Jorginho kind of cost me <laughs> cost me a game. So I think uh, in retrospect, I think I would have taken um, kind of a more streamlined pick, a more conventional pick in that regard and and gone for a little bit more, I don't know, maybe a little bit more defensive stability or maybe gone for another attacking midfielder. Who knows? I think I also probably would have foregone my Mesodotsil pick for another more dynamic player coming off the bench. Yeah, I think one, one other takeaway from my team is I had the most draws of any team, but the fewest losses. Um, and so I think my team was very balanced. We just often couldn't put away the opposition. Yeah. Well, I think soon we're going to be working on a way to uh, expand into other media avenues and possibly do a, a another sort of uh, football manager simulation, maybe with uh, different parameters involving who we can draft. And we'll hope to figure out a way to get that to be streamed either on Twitch or YouTube or both. But until then, I think this was a pretty successful first uh, first experiment with this platform and uh, certainly curious to see where we go uh, from here going forward. Absolutely. And with that being said, that has been Corner Kick. That has been our show for this week. Uh, like Nathan said, we'll hopefully be bringing more draft football manager content to you, corner kick style, in the coming days, in the coming weeks. So, um, I don't know. That's Corner Kick. That's our show. I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. We don't know by the law. You don't know what I just saw. Can't leave without it. How can you stick for the wall? Chase out the positive. Money just stick with the boy.